This is my friend, Scott. He wants to be an architect. Hello and welcome to episode one of Minutia, a podcast about living by design. I'm Scott Moses, an architect in Salt Lake City. First off, thank you for joining me here on the show. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a good time listening, whether you're on your way to work, on your way home, hanging out, walking through the city, no matter what you're doing, wherever you are, I really appreciate you listening in. Uh, Secondly, in the future, a big part of the show is going to depend on you. I have a lot of stories to share about my experiences and adventures and architecture and design, but I don't want this to be a show that's only interesting to other architects and designers. So I want to hear your questions. I want to know what you want to hear about on the show, um, whether it's about design or something else. I want you to share your thoughts, um, comment on the show, whatever you want to say, and I'll share it on the show. I always love seeing what I have in common with other people. I love hearing people's stories and hearing about their backgrounds. To me, it's just the most interesting thing because everybody's so different. So Let me tell you a little about me, and I'm kind of curious to see if our paths have ever crossed, if you've ever been in the same place as me at the same time, or if we like the same things, or like the same places, whatever. So, about me, I was born in Logan, Utah, 1983, and not long after, my dad graduated from Utah State University. Um, After that, our family moved to Phoenix for a short time, less than a year, And then apparently we moved to Fair Oaks, California on my third birthday. I don't remember it, but I kind of like thinking my family bought me a house for my birthday. Um, During our time in Fair Oaks, our family started going on vacation with our friends. Um, Around Memorial Day, we went to a beach near Santa Cruz called New Brighton Beach. It's this campground you can go to. Um, We'd go there and stay at the campsite on the top of a cliff and... On top of the cliff, it just looked like a forest. There were trees everywhere, um, pretty lush. And then after the morning clouds burned off, we'd walk down this cliffside staircase and path down to the beach. It was really cool. Like you'd come around a corner, all of a sudden you'd see the beach, and it was like this um, this really awesome vista of the entire Monterey Bay. It was really, really cool. But the cliff was big enough that We'd only make one trip down. We'd only walk down once and stay at the beach all day. So if you forgot something, it's kind of too bad unless you wanted to trek all the way back up. But it was awesome. I love that place. Um, it was kind of cold. We'd go in in May, and it wasn't like summertime beach weather all the time, but I loved it. We'd come back year after year with more and more of our friends, and Santa Cruz became like a second home. So that's kind of why I wanted to include it in this list of places I've lived. It's totally my second home. And whenever we go there, I kind of felt like a local because we'd go back so often. Um, We all fell in love with the beach and the boardwalk, um, the huge bonfires at night. If you've ever seen Chasing Mavericks, totally based in Santa Cruz where I'm talking about, they have scenes with the boardwalk, the kid in the movie goes surfing in the bay, you can see the boardwalk in the background, or uh, part of Bumblebee was filmed at the boardwalk. Like all the scenes at Hot Dog on a Stick, that's the boardwalk. So if you haven't ever been there, at least you'll get a glimpse of it. I think we've been back about 25 times over the years. We just go once a year. Um, We skipped a couple years, but we've been there about 25 times. We lived in Fair Oaks for about seven years, and then we moved to Olympia, Washington. Totally different world, but 
I love Olympia. I loved it there. I miss how green it is. And it's very cloudy and rainy, just like everyone says it is, but I love it. You get used to it. It doesn't really rain that much or that hard. You can kind of put up with it after you've lived there for a little while. Um, I loved it. And we'd still make the drive all the way down to Santa Cruz for vacation, even from Olympia. Um, We stayed in Olympia for about five years, and then we moved to Kaysville, Utah. Stayed here for three years. Um, Went to junior high and high school here for a little while. Then we moved back to Olympia. Same schools, same friends and everything back in Olympia for my senior year of high school. Um, So I wasn't the new kid. I actually knew people and It was actually really fun. I loved my senior year up there. And then we moved back to Kaysville after my senior year, where we've been ever since 2001. I went to college at the University of Utah, where I took general courses, and I thought I'd pursue something in medicine. After a while, I switched to study business and finance because I was working in a credit union at the time. And I thought, well, money never goes away. It would be really smart to get into business or finance. But... Um, As I got a little bit deeper into it, I realized that I didn't love what I was studying. I was doing well, but I didn't really love it. I was doing great as far as my grades, but I knew that I had to do something more creative or I was going to end up hating my work after graduation. And so I started thinking, um, you know, what kind of profession would be lucrative enough, useful enough, but something creative. Um, My dad... I got to thinking my dad's an extremely gifted landscape architect, and I grew up working with him installing his designs for commercial and residential jobs all over Washington. And as a young teenager, I wasn't really into it at first. It was just manual labor, but I quickly learned to love turning a bare plot of dirt into a beautifully landscaped project that my dad's clients were really grateful for. He has great vision. He has the most amazing work ethic. And wherever we moved while I was growing up, he'd always update the landscaping and take immaculate care of the yard. Um, He's a great example of that. Watching him over the years, I could tell that he worked harder than anyone because he'd constantly outwork his crew, he'd outwork me, and he always pushed me to be a little better, work a little faster, work smarter. But I knew that despite the physical labor or the stress of hitting deadlines, or whatever setbacks came up with his jobs, that he really loved designing and working with people. And my memories and experiences working with him are what led me into looking into architecture or something in design. Um, I thought about applying to Utah State University uh, to the landscape architecture program that he went to, but as soon as I checked out the College of Architecture and Planning at the U, or at the University of Utah, I knew I had to be a part of it. I just, I felt like that's where I was supposed to be. Something about it really drew me there. Um, I got super excited about it, applied to the program, and got in. Even though I had never drafted before, I'd never taken a design class before, I'd taken art classes, and photography was kind of a hobby for me. And they still took me in. Um, I got super lucky and married Michelle Kelly, the prettiest girl in Salt Lake City, and we got our first apartment near Sugar House. Um, I graduated with my bachelor's and my master's of architecture over the years, and we bought a 1960 brick home in Kaysville right before my master's was done, and we've been here ever since. I started my professional career in architecture in 2012, and I absolutely love what I do. I feel like I got 
really lucky with my profession because uh, it's turned out to be kind of a wild ride. There's ups and downs in architecture and design with clients coming and going and projects coming and going, but it's just like with anything. You have to love what you do, and I really do. I love designing things. It's a total challenge. You have to use right brain and left brain constantly switching back and forth, but that's I think that's what makes it so fun for me. I get to I get to do both. I don't get pigeonholed and just creating things all the time and having to produce creations all the time. I get to switch and work with people, uh, be social, go on job sites. Um, it's a really interesting profession. It's unlike anything else, and I think that's why I enjoy it so much. Um, about a year ago, though, I started wondering if I should start a podcast about design because I'm really passionate about it. And hopefully that would get other people passionate about it uh, because I love finding passionate, energetic, positive people. And I thought this would be a great way to reach out. Um, And I spent months brainstorming what I wanted to focus on. I knew I didn't want to end up with a show that only architects and designers would listen to. And I was looking for a theme that could tie all my friends and family and new listeners all together talk a little bit about architecture since it's my profession, but then present an overall show that would inspire people. And one night, while I was watching one of my top three favorite movies of all time, when I was watching Inception, I really caught on to Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character Arthur when he said this line. Forgive me for wanting a little specificity. Specificity? It's one of my favorite lines. He's so blunt. I love it. But that's exactly how I approach every design. I'm constantly striving for specificity because the more specific and detailed a design can be, the better the outcome for everybody. Um, The happier the architect is, uh, the happier the client is because we're answering questions before construction ever happens. And I realized that life is exactly the same. A life spent, you know, meandering through each year can be enjoyable or... It can leave you, like the movie says, an old man filled with regret waiting to die alone. Um, On the other hand, a life lived by design, led by making specific choices and achieving goals, feels fulfilled and rich, even when things don't go according to plan. And so I came up with a motto, and it's a motto that I've only been using for 2019 so far, but it's something that I hope to carry with me all through life. With that in mind, the show is dedicated to studying my new motto, which is live specific. I use this motto every time I design a building or a home, and I use it in everyday life as well to work on personal goals. It applies to both really, really well. What I'm proposing is thinking in reverse. If you're designing something, it's really common for designers to get overwhelmed with all the possible outcomes when you sit down to first design. Whether you're a professional or not, this is it can be an overwhelming task to sit down and try to think about what your design is going to become. But if you want to make change in your personal life, it's a parallel situation. It's easy to get overwhelmed by all the changes you want to make in your life. It's really easy to make a huge list and then either never get started or never really get anywhere with all your goals. So here's where my motto, Live Specific, is going to come in handy in both scenarios. I'll give you two examples. So first example, let's say you're building a new home. You have a blank piece of property. You want this house to be your home for at least the next 10 or 20 years to make it worth it. 
and you have no idea where to begin. It's a very common story. Instead of doing what most people do, which is making a giant list of every room and every amenity you could possibly want to cram into the new house, or um, I've seen a lot of people do this as well, making an enormous collection of disconnected or random house photos that you love, reverse your thinking. Don't do those first two things. Reverse your thinking and start with one idea. Start with the most important room in the house. That's going to be different for each family, but let's say for your family, the highest traffic and the most time is spent in the kitchen, okay? So focus just on the kitchen and let everything else go. If you start wondering about what the exterior will look like or what color you should paint the walls or anything else, let it go and come back to the kitchen. Start with the list of everything you need in the kitchen, just the essentials. Then list everything you want that's outside of what you need. That could be finishes or paint colors just in the kitchen or fixtures, lighting, whatever you want. But just focus on the kitchen. Once you have that, forget about the kitchen and focus on the second most important space. Let's say that's the master suite. So you repeat the process. List what you need, then list what you want. Done. Now forget about the kitchen and the master suite and repeat the process one more time for the third most important space. Just to mix it up, let's say that's a finished attic that would be a great hangout space or a studio. I've always wanted one, so that's why I mention it. By now, you've got a good-sized list going, so you have three spaces of needs and wants, and that's it. Now comes the challenge. Don't think about the rest of the house yet. Forget about the cool black iron and glass front door you saw on social media. Forget about looking at the bathroom tile or the wood flooring. Just... Put it aside. Just take your top three rooms and go directly to a blank site plan or a map of your property and sketch three circles of where you think those three top spaces should go. You're going to want to draw a floor plan or try to make it into a house somehow because floor plans are more exciting and they look better than just plain circles on a page. But stick to drawing loose circles to place your three rooms on site. Just FYI, Drawing boxes or rectangles starts to look a little too much like architecture, so that's why we start with these. In school, we would call these bubble diagrams. If you start drawing rectangles or shapes that you would recognize or use more often, it might get your mind rolling on design ideas too quickly, so stay away from those. Just draw some circles, you know, ovals, whatever you want, and maybe your top three spaces are in a line or a sequence on the site. Uh, maybe they're all disconnected and spread out for privacy or sound separation. Maybe you want them all close together and they form a little cluster. Maybe they're in your mind they're supposed to be together. So draw them however you like on a blank site plan or a map of the property, but only think about where you want those three rooms to make the most sense uh, for how you would use them every day and where they'd make most sense on your site. You know, which one would you want to experience first as you enter the home? Which ones are the public spaces? Which ones are private? Are there views that you want to focus on from the inside through the windows? Whatever you want, sketch your circles and label them with the name of the room and don't go any farther yet. I told you, we're thinking in reverse. So this is going to feel a lot different. It's not going to feel like architecture right now. But the reason for this exercise is to nail down your actual priorities at the start so that they never get lost in the mix and they never get cut from the final design. Uh, something that people kind of miss when they come in to see an architect or, you know, when they're 
meeting with me to try and renovate their home or whatever their project is, they get so excited about a few things at the start. And then as time goes on, start looking at the budget, start looking at construction timelines, and things get cut all the time. Um, you can imagine, you just you start dreaming, and then your budget gets in the way, and you start cutting out the most essential things that you were really excited about at first. And it's kind of sad that some projects get cut down to bare bones because we didn't focus on the most important spaces the whole time. So this is all about thinking of what's most important to you, what you're going to use the most. And it's going to be different from your neighbors. It's going to be different from what your family would suggest. You have to think about how you, just you and your family, are going to use the space. And another reason for this exercise is if you were to start designing by sketching ideas of the exterior first, without a clue about the rooms or the flow inside, you'll almost always end up loving the exterior, but hating something about the interior design, because you'll have to make compromises on the interior to achieve what you've come up with for the so-called perfect exterior. Creating a simple vision of your top three rooms at the start is like a guarantee that you'll love the finished house. The exterior design is very important. It creates curb appeal. It affects the value and the equity of your home. It sends messages about your style, your personality, what you think is beautiful. But most Americans spend at least 75% of their time or more at home indoors. You have to get the interior right in order to love the feeling of your home. And I feel like a lot of designers and builders are chasing after the most beautiful exteriors based on whatever current trends are hot and then making the insides work as an afterthought. I don't agree with that. It happens a lot, but it always makes me uneasy and it's a missed opportunity to really love the inside. Uh, designing your home based on your top priority rooms is the definition of the phrase form follows function. And I think a lot of architects and designers would like to think that they do form follows function, but in reality, I'm seeing a lot of the reverse. I'm seeing function following a form that people fall in love with. I have a theory that Americans move more often than we need to because an affordable home with really great function and flow is hard to find unless you design it with an architect. People move in and out of homes all the time because they don't have exactly what their family is looking for or what they personally want to have in a home. And then renovations come into play to change something about the inside of their home, which is really great for architects and designers, but I kind of feel for people because you spend all this money for a home that's not exactly what you really want. So I'm a big advocate for designing the interior first, or at least laying it out nicely, then focusing on the exterior of the home. That's how I design all my own homes. And my clients end up being really happy that we did it that way because you spend so much time indoors. So back to the exercise. We've got our top three rooms. We've got our needs, our wants. Now it's time to make a loose list of other rooms you think you need in the house. But don't get into the details of what those rooms look like yet or where they're placed. Limit it to just a list of room names that you want. And that's it. Don't start designing them all yet because you don't even know if you need them or if you can afford them all yet. Now it's time to pick an architect. The right architect won't simply cram the rooms that you say you need into the full design. In my mind, the right architect will take your top three rooms and keep those as a priority, then flesh out the rest of the design with you during the design development phase. 
Let me share a quick story about how this method of design and live specific have worked for me and my clients. A new client of mine thought she needed a master bedroom and one bedroom for each of their kids. Seems logical, but she would have ended up with like seven bedrooms. The difference in cost between building a home with seven bedrooms versus three bedrooms is tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on how you build it and your finishes. But one of her priorities was the master suite. So we focused on having a great master suite, and I suggested building two really great bunk rooms, one for the boys, one for the girls. It was an out-of-the-box idea that significantly costed the house down, still looked amazing inside and out, it served the needs of the whole family, and it created a whole new dynamic in the home since the kids weren't quarantined in their own separate rooms. It, it would take some getting used to if you were expecting to have your own room, but it was an interesting idea. This wouldn't work for everyone, but focusing on that client's specific top priorities instead of designing based on a long list of wants and wishes saved a ton of money, gave their family a high-functioning home, and freed up a chunk of their budget to spend on high-quality finishes and fun stuff. Now let's switch gears and live specific in terms of personal goals. Every year, I love making a list of New Year's resolutions. I don't always stick to them, but I love making the list. So one year, my genius wife suggested that we go out and buy two picture frames so we could each type out our resolutions, print them, and display them on our nightstands so we'd actually remember them and stick to them. Total genius. We went out together. We each picked out our 4x6 picture frame. I typed out the resolutions in Photoshop and formatted them to fit the frames. Then we printed them, put them on our nightstands, and it was a great idea for a date, and it ended up changing my life. We didn't accomplish our goals 100% that year, but we each accomplished at least half or more of the things that we set out to do, which is great. That year, I actually started committing to fitness for the first time in my adult life. I wasn't out of shape, but I wasn't muscular either. I'd wanted to change that part of my life, but that idea had been on the back burner for years. I was an intern architect at the time, and I was going through the rigorous, time-consuming, money-consuming course of earning my architect's license and studying for seven professional exams. There were a lot of things slipping down my list of priorities at the time. I basically went to work, came home and studied, and that was it. Half the battle was remembering my resolutions beyond the first week of the new year, and seeing them every day committed my resolutions to memory. The first year we did this, I think I wrote down eight or ten goals. I was really ambitious, but it wasn't feasible. I bit off more than I could chew. So the next year, I wrote down four or five goals. These days, I keep it to about two or three goals that I can remember easily and actually measure my progress. Simplifying and committing to my top priorities has helped me live more specific, and it's setting me up to make my goals into habits, which is my ultimate goal. Since the day of my wife's brilliant idea, I've run several 5 and 10K races, and I built up the confidence and the strength to sign up for a Ragnar relay race on a team with my coworkers, where I ran over 20 miles total in 24 hours. If you don't know what the Ragnar races are, it's this incredibly enormous race where your total team, you know, teams are made up of different numbers of people, but you basically run over 200 miles in the course of two days. Um, my three legs of the race added up to about 20 miles, 
and it was way longer than I'd ever run before. Um, I'd never really gotten into running, and at first I didn't want to get into running, but um, I really love it now because I made it a goal. I chased after it, and I love accomplishing things. But if I'd started the new year saying, I want to run a marathon, I want to read more, I want to design 20 house plans to sell, um, I want to write a new album to record with my band, I might have accomplished one, maybe two of those things over the course of the year. I decided to scrap making a long, attractive list of resolutions and focus on a couple personal goals and one fitness goal instead. My fitness goal was to run Ragnar, to be able to do it. From there, I built outward. I laid out a training plan over the course of a few months to start small with little one or two mile runs, building up over time to 10 mile runs to running two or three long runs in a day just before the race. The other things I wanted to do still happened. I couldn't spend all my time running, or nor did I want to, so I'd work on reading and studying a little each day. Not a lot. I'm not a big reader, but I do it. A little each day. I recorded songs when I had time to sit down with a guitar, but I kept my focus on my top priorities, including wanting to be a strong runner for our team and not let my coworkers down. The race day came, I finished my three legs of the team relay, and our team had a really great time together. I loved it. It's one of my favorite memories. But midway through the second leg, it was my longest leg of the race. It was nine and a half miles in the middle of the night. My knee decided to lock up if I stopped running. I took a quick break to walk for a second and catch my breath after about mile five. And I realized my knee didn't want to bend if I walked too long. It was the weirdest feeling. It never happened to me before. So I sucked it up, I ran the rest of my nine and a half miles, and it could have been a lot worse if I let my training slide. But what saved my knee and my will to keep running to the finish line were a lot of blessings and answers to prayers I said while I was running, and my decision to live specific and focus on my priority to train well. I'm convinced that because I simplified my life, I was able to actually live a better life. I was able to be the most prepared compared to trying to do everything at once and fitting in a little time to train. So the lesson in both cases is to live specific. Try not to think about everything at once. I don't think that we're really built to do that anyway as humans. I think that we're built to focus and work on little things at a time, line by line. Um, scriptures will say precept on precept or line by line, because we're meant to get a little better every day. We're not made, we're, I don't think we're built, to make these huge giant leaps day to day. It's really stressful to try and do that, and actually it can be very physically dangerous to do that. If I went out and ran a 10K right now, it would probably wreck my knees, or it would wreck my ankles or something, or I wouldn't be able to breathe right. Um, you have to train for it, you have to live specific and pick your priorities if you want to be the most successful. So my challenge to you is to pick three things that are going to be your new resolutions. Type them out, print them out, put them in a photo frame, put it somewhere in your house so that you can always see it and be reminded of your three overall goals. Maybe it's something at home and then something at work and then something that's just personal for you. Or they could all be personal for you. Whatever you want to do, it's your mix but pick three things and try to simplify your life down to focusing on those three things. 
then let me know how it's going right into the show. Uh, I want to know if you're failing, if you're totally succeeding. I want to know if things are changing about your life because you're trying to simplify. Whatever's going on in your life, let me know how it's going. If you have a story, write into the show and I'll share it on another episode. But overall, live specific. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. Stay tuned for episode two where we'll talk with my first guest on the show about how she and her husband managed to build the coolest house I've ever seen right here in Utah. The Minutia Podcast is a production of Matt Black Records. Music and content written and produced by Scott Moses. Have a question for Scott or want to be featured on the show? Write in to the Minutia Podcast at Outlook.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe. Live specific and stay tuned for scenes from the next episode. So whether your home is huge like this one or small, uh, you could have a studio apartment and just make it really well designed. And that's what I think is most important if it's designed around people, around what's important to you, and how you're going to use the space. I think that is what makes a space successful. I tapped him on the shoulder. He turned around, and I said, um, just so you know, I think you're really good looking. Oh and then God. I ran for away. You. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know what? I've never done anything like that in my life. I just, it was just this bizarre situation. We flew to California. And over a couple of days, we looked at tons of houses in the Bay Area. And, I mean, that's when I really kind of fell in love with architecture. My husband's friend said, oh, man, you have to come look at this property that I found while I was hiking. <laughs> he went up, yeah, he went up Fairwood Canyon and then up South Fork. And came across this huge property. We didn't even want to see any other architects because oh wow, for some reason, I know it was just like uh, he just spoke to us because right when we sat down, it was like we told him we want to create something just so different and architecturally stunning and just unique and his eyes just lit up like it was <laughs> he has wanted to hear this like his whole career yeah so it was just like a mutual thing where we wanted to create something so cool when we first met up with him after his initial drawing and he showed us what he came up with okay Keep in mind, we said we wanted to create the weirdest, coolest, <laughs> most fun house in Utah. 
<laughs> okay. The first drawing kind of looked like a Hobbit house ready to take off, like, on a UFO. Oh, it was, my gosh. Like, <laughs> there were, like, metal beams just, like, sticking out of the house and things floating, like, off the roof. And it was just, like, in circles everywhere. I mean, it oh looked my gosh. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and so... You know, we were just kind of staring at it like, oh, okay. Like, what have you done? (laughs) Yeah, like, oh my gosh. Uh, Okay, that is so funny you said that because I think Chad Mallory, he actually just sat there and was staring at it and was like, Michael, what have you done? (laughs) He actually actually said that. 